Greetings program, hello, and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 36. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my mindful, focused, and committed guest co-host, Connor Colson. Welcome, Connor. Thank you, and greetings program. I haven't said that one yet. I don't get the opportunity oh, too often. <laughs> No, it's not a. It's not not something that you say very often in polite society. You know, greetings program. I'm uh, saying that to strangers. Well, if I am going to do Tron Legacy Minute, I guess I'm going to have a lot of opportunities at some point, but not now. This yeah, is my only opportunity yeah, now. Absolutely. <laughs> so previously on this movies by minute podcast, well, what happens in this minute? Flynn oh, is yeah. escorted to the grid. And he's lined up in front of Sark with other prisoners to hear a speech about what's going to happen to him and the other conscripts. Actually, you know, it cuts off before the standard self-standard training line. I was going to say it ends on a great line, but it's not. It's the next. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like those who continue a belief. And then it, and then it uh, yeah, it cuts off. <clears throat> as, uh, as, as Flynn is leaving the cell, the guard says, you, you come this way. And directs him over in a different direction from the other prisoners that are being unloaded. And off, uh, it's interesting that off the top here, you can see that the shadow of the guard is cut off rather sharply in a bad matting oh, or something yeah. along those lines. It just ends like the frame of that shot ended, but it wasn't erased properly either. It looks like a bad cut off grainy photocopy of a shadow is there. That's probably what all the footage looked like before they added the cutouts and glows, actually, I think. Maybe. When you uh, when you're working in Photoshop late at night, have too many layers and forget to delete one. <laughs> exactly that's exactly what it looks like yeah it's really Um, really clear there see it's previously we were we were alluding to some things about costumes and uh well we ran out of time because it's me and i talk a lot (laughs) but um yeah so i love the guard costumes it's just like these big puffy jackets with the hood the structured hood as they call it and then you've got this like painter's breathing mask sort of thing it's not even a proper gas mask it's just I love it. They clearly, I can see how they did it. I see the thought process. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It kind of falls apart in terms of the pants, though. Like, they've got all these integrators and pads, and then they've just, like, eh, tights. Yeah. Some I great mean, tights. this yeah. movie, it needs a certain amount of knock, needs a certain amount of booty, and I'm sorry, gods, if we pad you out, <laughs> we're not filling our quota. So. <laughs> We're not gonna meet. We're not gonna meet our quota. Yet. <laughs> um, but yes, going back to your question in the last minute, why, why are the costumes so tight and why are they white? It's just so. Oh yeah. my god, it's painted on. Yeah. But I. Think... It was a real test of. It was a test of courage for most of the cast when they're like, "I'm sorry, we're wearing what?" Yes. You know, they were like, "Ah, okay then." You know, no no pizza for me for a while, I guess. You know, yeah. Really um, struck by it. So the, the thing is with Lycra is you can get very different weights. So you can even go up to a neoprene. See, they really could have put them in white neoprene kind of like wetsuits. So it's form-fitting, but it's not like knuck form-fitting. <laughs> Dance belts <laughs> requiring form-fitting. Um, yeah, now I guess when you say knuck, that's a... Uh... Like moose knuckle, like a, that's a, that's like a. <laughs> Sorry, um, that's from not to promote another podcast, but um, the Greatest Generation, which is a the next generation yeah, Star Trek: The Next Generation podcast, and again, it's another sci-fi project 
from the 80s in which people are wearing jumpsuits and boy, they don't leave a lot to imagination, do they? Nope. Nope. There's some <laughs> stuff jumbling around in there. And yet, Thies Thies, how we're pronouncing it, um, he designed those TNG uniforms to be black. Um, the producers yeah. were like, oh, could it be grey? You know, just, we need more colour. It needs to be something less severe. He's like, no, it's going to be black because nope. it hides black. all the problem areas. You know, you're going to have this bright, bold <laughs> colour across the chest and the sleeves and everything else. We're just going to make it look really flattering and smooth. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Wade Thies. Yes. Surprisingly, though, everyone looks pretty smooth in in Tron. I mean, everyone's young and fit, and it's what not. Have you. It's not like people. Yeah, people talk about the tightness a lot, but it's actually not that bad. It actually looks pretty good. They did shoot around it pretty well, and yeah. like even things as tight as they are, there's no real sort of cheesecakey shots. You know, like there's no shots like a close up on a on a chest or a close up on a on a butt or anything like that. Like everybody's yeah. just kind of offered offered without comment. Nothing's uh, seductive. Everything's just kind of plain. But, you know, they're tight, but it's not like they're not showcasing how tight it is. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy that they didn't. Like, they're just programs running around doing what they do. This is just the way they look. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by how anything can be filmed in a sexual manner or in a totally asexual manner. And yeah, totally. In Prometheus and in Alien, that actually comes up a lot because, as I always say... Alien, as a franchise, is about sexuality, but it's never about... Oh, it's about... Well, hang on. I got to go. Oh, I always say it and I forgot it. Um, it's about <laughs> sex, but it's never about sexuality, which by that I mean it's very much about very overt imagery of, you know, the, the, the xenomorph has this phallic head and it's all about, you know, uh, got to keep it G-rated, but just some very shocking themes about sex <laughs> but in alien the only time we see a woman nude or semi-nude is in a terrifying scene it's not about oh look at sigourney weaver's butt crack it's just wow she is really vulnerable right now and this is just so yeah. intimate and and vulnerable yeah exposed i really and, i really like that yeah and it wasn't. It, I don't know if they if they had titillation in mind when Sigourney Weaver mm. steps down in the end of Alien, or if they didn't. But it definitely wasn't shot that way, and it yeah. just came across as her being. It was just. It was just her wearing underwear. It wasn't like, I don't know, lingerie or something. It didn't seem like a like a a a, a scene that was built like that. It seemed like she just now she's vulnerable. She has to get into the next stage of her clothing before she can eject but anyway i know what you're saying yeah well. yeah and and in prometheus same thing where like elizabeth shaw nimi rapaz's character um she's like her, her chest is bandaged up she's got all these uh, bandaged undies you know she's got the six pack she looks great she's ripped but it's not a sexy scene it's just oh my yeah. god get this thing out of her oh. <laughs> yeah yeah no I and uh, yeah the same thing with tron it's just this is what we were. This is normal. <laughs> yeah. It's all about context. Uh, we cut, it's all about context. We cut to Flynn being led down a fantastic hallway with giant red shapes on the walls and a scrolling, repeating the... line pattern of Adidas? dots and dashes. Is it Adidas who has that kind of uh, It looks a little... <laughs> yeah, it looks a little bit like that. It does, except there's a triangle on it, and it does look like the three mad stripes of uh, the Adidas clothing there. Yeah. 
Well, I guess three. You're gonna find three stripes accidentally in a lot of places. I guess that's the one good thing about that kind of uh, that kind of graphic repetition is if you've got three mm -hmm. stripes, you're like, oh yeah, that looks like Adidas, you know. So close enough. Picked something well there. I like the art direction. It's just so uh, in this hallway, it's so cool because this is 100% made up. They were just walking yeah. down a black stage, right? So. So were they using says, green uh, screen or was it just black? They weren't. They were just black. They were wow. going to film it all against white, but then they realized that filming it white would be really, really difficult, and there's not enough power, actually, in order to light it properly for big rooms. But coating everything in black velvet or like the some super light absorbent material that ends up kind of looking and feeling like velvet was a lot... Um, a lot easier and more cost effective to do. Make, making a room black is a lot easier than making a room white. Velvet, so especially black like... velvet, does some fascinating things with light because it doesn't really absorb it, and especially on camera, it just, it's like a black hole. It's really cool. Yeah. And yeah. It's um, like Vanta, like Vanta, like Vanta black stuff. It just kind of yeah. sucks in the light. And even other colors like um, Doctor Who, not to tangent too much here, but um, the eighth Doctor played by Paul McGann. Now, the, the movie was filmed on video, very cheap, the, the lighting and the camera quality, not amazing. And so for years, fans would debate passionately, is it a blue jacket? Is it a green jacket? Is it brown? Is it... Sure. Sure. We did not discover what it was until about 20, 25 years later when they actually, uh, for the 50th anniversary, took it out of storage and put it on display. And with modern cameras, we could take photos and go, it's green. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Mm. Um, as they're being uh, walked down the hall there, uh, he says, Flynn says, there's been a mistake. I want to see the guy in charge. <laughs> and uh i mean you know as they say these days i guess karen wants to speak to the manager <laughs> having, a, having then, a karen uh, moment the, yeah the guard ominously replies you will <laughs> and um then we cut to a shot of sark's massive carrier ship floating along you can hear the huge sound of it rumbling through all the bass in your headphone and speakers now I... at this Wonder. I think they might have used similar sounds for the recognizer in uh, Legacy. Maybe I don't know. I have to actually listen to it. It might have been. I think it might have been a little different because there's jet engines that I can remember being incorporated into the sound of the of the um, recognizers in Legacy, mm. whereas here the Legacy sounds were just more of a synth. Uh, wobble like a synth wave wave line kind of a thing yeah. just a pulse on the synth and but, I... but with Sark's carrier Sark's carrier yeah. was he'd actually gone into the Goodyear blimp and recorded the engine oh. in the Goodyear blimp interesting and that was so it's literally a recording of the Goodyear blimp over Long Beach California so that's where the giant crawling sound of Sark's ship was taken from an actual giant crawling ship hey there blimpy boy <laughs> I don't know why I keep referencing this. Instance. I think it's our third one today. With the what now? Sorry. You know, hey there, Blimpy Boy, when uh, Homer was going to go on, I think it was the Goodyear Blimp, and then he had to give oh, yeah. it up for some reason. Um, I think the animation gives me kind of Pink Floyd vibes, and I don't know why. Yeah, that is strange because Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd didn't really have all these straight lines. But I can see it. Well, yeah. it's also just kind of trippy, right? Yeah, I think that's it. It's like this really surreal world. Uh, it, similar color palettes at times. Yeah, I don't know why my brain's making that connection. 
Oh, fair enough. Oh, I'm oh, noticing. Uh, Frank, Sarah... As they, yeah. the, I think, I think, yeah, no, you did describe uh, the the prisoners being led into the uh, the lineup. They are still wearing yeah. the the togas, so I guess these guys they're, are all yeah, because levels level ones. <laughs> level ones, exactly. They're all level ones. I think that's what the toga is. It's a symbol of being like level one. You're brand new. Mm. You're fresh fish for the for the machine. Yeah. Now, uh, what was it? Frank Seraphine had done the sound effect for the Douglas Trumbull visuals of Spock's spacewalk sequence before this movie in the Star Trek The Motion Picture. And he'd been working on the black hole. Yeah, Yeah, he'd been working on the... (laughs) Another good costume, that's right. And he'd been working on the black hole for Disney, but it had gone over to Star Trek. And then after Star Trek... Black hole! The black hole! That's what this movie reminds me of. So, in the 80s... It's right around the same period. It's the same period. It's back when Disney was making, like family horror a very strange genre that only lasted for like four films there was very like, experimental uh, a lot of the sort watcher of existential the, it was like, things yeah. um, it was black hole watcher in the woods and uh something wicked this way comes it was kind of like these horror films that the whole family could watch and it didn't really it i think it kind of didn't really work but, but oh then, yeah, my god i haven't uh, thought about that oh and the couple yeah. used to freak me out Yes, wow, nostalgia trivia. Yeah, Black Hole's a a wild, wild film. Oh my god, the ending? Don't even want to spoil it for anyone, but what? What? Yeah. It's like bloody, um, that's a new movie. Oh god. uh, Event Horizon? Event Horizon, yes, Event Horizon, but for kids. But for kids, yeah, it's a very, very, a, a a lot of scenes in that movie really freaked me out. I remember just straight up not getting the end, but, but I mean, yeah. so I'm this, an adult and so... I had to just go, hang on. Did I just zone out? <laughs> I mean, I did zone out. I was looking at my phone. Oh, oh no. What's happening? Yeah. Now Sark's, uh, Sark ship just, uh, off, just want to mention that was done by a company called triple I I've mentioned them before, but that was one of the four computer effects and animation companies working on the film. And triple I also did the solar sailor and the MCP. So they did. That was their. Those were those. Their their three responsibilities, and amongst amongst others, but that was their three main responsibilities. It looks so the, really the well integrated. Uh, it really does. I very well integrated. Yeah, the shots were very. They were very planned out. There wasn't a whole lot of improv improvisation that was possible because after they shot it, they were locked in. They were like, okay, well, we shot it. It's like, can we reshoot it? No, we can't. This is it. So they had to and... like, measure twice and cut once. That's another way that this movie was a little ahead of its time because nowadays you look at, like, again, any Marvel movie, Star Wars movie, anything like that, and there's a humongous visual effects department. And it's not just one yeah. company. It's like four Several, or five. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I was amazed to learn that the... Um, the Lord of the Rings movies all done by one company. They never gave yeah. it to anyone else. But Tron one was already house, ahead yeah. of the curve and just going, well, you know, just give it to multiple and we can piece it together it yeah. works theory being i guess four companies can do it in one quarter of the time right when you've got and huge demands i think you end up getting a better product as well because each group can really focus on delivering the best they can yeah and it's also i mean i remember with the x-men movies they had a different production house each do one of the mutants effects so like oh. one production house did storm one production house did cyclops and like one production house did Magneto. So you'd have these, they'd be, 
just by the by the nature of choosing different houses, you'd get very unique effects for for each for each one, which I thought was That's a pretty cool. neat idea. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's even harder to have to have multiple uh, companies involved when the animation is a bit more stylized like this. So if you're doing, you know, an Avengers movie, you're trying to make everything look realistic. So there's a there's a standard there you're aiming for. Whereas here, it's just yeah, sort of this Pink here Floyd heavy metal esque. Yeah. do whatever you like yeah this is like this is really really high concept out there kind of stuff mm. so the prisoners all get led led out onto a massive platform in between two massive rectangular pits in single file and at second 13 the walls flash again to cover up the sudden leap in brightness on the characters themselves which works fantastic and i love the geometric abstractions in all these wide open scenes of the grid all the blue polygonal shapes and abstract lines it's really high concept stuff but like it's just a suggestion of a fence a suggestion of a wall like a suggestion of a yeah. floor it's all these it's like it's all it's all solid but it's uh an atom thick like it's all there but it's immaterial like it just seems really solid but also really flimsy and just recently created you know as well it's a it's i love the world that they've created here and I think it's one of the few examples where, and now you see this in so many science fiction movies, where the sets are enormous. Like you look at Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and like, why yeah. is he living in a house so big? It must be freezing in there, the high ceilings. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas here, it actually makes sense because you don't have the limitations of building materials. You don't have to keep it insulated. You don't have a budget. Yeah. It's just I've constructed this giant space because I can. Yeah, detail is expensive, but mm. like you could make a wall infinite. You can make it. You can make a, a single plane wall two hundred miles tall if you want. No big deal. Who cares? Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you want to make it have crenellations and cornices and stuff, well, that's going to be a huge amount of expense in terms of polygons. But if you just want to make a basic wall, heck, it's done. Snap of the fingers, and you can be as big as you want it to be. So did that's we a, see that's anything round? I don't think we uh, do. The light cycles. They're quite, yeah, they are curved, yeah, actually. Yeah, very curvy. They got circular wheels and they're curved. And that was a real break in terms of computer animation uh, at the I time. I thought there was Making CGI, something yeah. that was actually round. It's, it's just like, wow, what? You want to do something round? And so but they, <laughs> they did it and it looks, looks fantastic. And yet a few, well, maybe a decade later when uh, we were doing early cgi in um in the 90s a lot of those programs use circles as a basis rather than squares so that's interesting and then it's kind of yeah. gone back and i'm no expert on this or why it's changed but we've kind of gone back to well polygons sharper shapes um hexagons basically and all of that um in video games yeah, we zoom in on the bridge of Sark's ship and the sound of the ship pitches down. And one of the problems with stark backgrounds and monotone colors and the blackness is that it's kind of hard to get a sense of scale or motion. Like, I don't know exactly if this is supposed to be Sark's carrier descending down closer to the conscripts or if it's supposed to be an establishing zoom in on the cockpit showing us where Stark is located. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it works as both. But when the background is just black like that, you're not really sure of like, is it moving towards us or am I moving towards it? Cause there's yeah, no like way. that classic Star Wars shot, you know, it opens up and there's yeah. this humongous Star Destroyer or whatever it's called. And yeah. There's the there's a planet and you go, oh, okay, I can see a sense of scale here. There's nothing. Yeah. 
And then uh, the conscripts all come to a stop and hang out, and one of the guards barks, Look, operative! Command <laughs> program Sark's carrier is approaching. He'll explain the training procedures and gestures up to the sky. And that, like that sort of, look, operative, there's a bunch of little zingers like that in the script where they're all like, yeah, you know, trying to s- s- sneak computer equipment words into the into the script. Oh, I love it. Cut to, I, I, to I, I do that in real life because I'm a huge nerd. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to deactivate myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut to a shot of the bridge of Sark. Oh, what do we got here? Yeah, we cut to a shot of Stark. Sark. Sh- starting his address. Snark. And I... Oh, did I, I can't... I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm just going to call him Stark all the time. Tony Stark. Um, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony... Yeah. And then uh, Stark says... Greetings. The master control program has chosen you to serve your system on the game grid. And Flynn's kind of looking up there like, hey, wait a second. Do I know that guy? Or at least that's what I yeah. interpret it as. And then, I'm uh, wondering Sark's... if we should have had an yeah. over uh, an above shot of the ship coming down and landing. If that would have made yeah, things make more sense. That would have helped a lot. Like we get shots of Sark looking down at the conscripts from behind Sark, but we didn't get a shot of the the ship coming in and perching somewhere, which would have been, I think that would have helped a lot. Mm. And then Stark says, Stark says, those, those of you who continue to profess a belief in the users will receive the standard substandard. And then it gets cut off by the end of the minute. So you do get that one, I get a little bit of that one, uh, that little bit, one little bit of that line. And then, at second fifty six, the wall behind Sark uh, lights up and lights him up, which is another artifact of the film mistakes throughout the film. So, keep an eye out for that while you're watching the film, because I just love hunting for them now that I know that they're there and they're peppered all the way, all the way through the film. I love that it's filmed in black and white. I think that really makes the difference in creating a world that feels. <sighs> Not real, I guess is the best way to put it. There's you, there's another layer from which you're divorced from reality. Yeah. And yeah, the only colors it. it can actually show us are your uh, RGB. There's no CMYK, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, One thing that I... Uh, uh, what's that? Go ahead. Um... Okay, no, I'll let you finish your thought because this is yeah, too much for tangent. Stay on track. Well, this is a this is a this is a new thing. Um, oh, okay. This is about this is about Sark, and this is one of the things that I like best about this minute is that I can't get enough of the hypocrisy of Sark. After mm-hmm. literally coming from a conversation with the MCP about the users that he knows fully well exist, giving a speech to these conscripts about their bogus, silly, superstitious belief in the non-existent users. Yeah. You know, like, I can't get enough of it. It encapsulates so much of the hypocrisy that can grow in giant organizations like the MCP and its sort of overlord metaphor. Like, I can totally see how it could lead to reinforcing conspiracy theories amongst the programs. It's like our modern-day sort of Area 51 lizard people Illuminati conspiracies conspiracies or whatever. Like, you know... 90% 90% of the world's wealth can be traced to 10 people, but that's just a matter of public record. It's mm. not a mystery, but it, it'd be like if alien overlords legitimately existed and the people at the top had tea with them 
on occasion and then went right out to a news conference and talked about how silly and simple-minded it was to believe in alien overlords are you saying that's not the truth (laughs) (laughs) i want to believe i mean i do yeah q q x files uh you know theme song you need a soundboard i can't i can't think of too many scenes that i've seen like this like i've seen like corporate magnates and crime bosses in films deny the facts about their own organizations to low-level employees in many films but not on this scale this somewhat like mystical religious large scale you know and i really like it because it really paints sark out to be the bad guy because this is a huge lie this is a huge lie that he's that he's telling them right now and he's yeah again it's that uh yeah the the um uh, colonialism or the the Catholics taking over the pagans. It's yeah. just, yeah. oh, your silly religions and your silly ideas. No, this is the way you should be thinking. Yeah, but he's punishing. And But like the thing that differentiates that from that is that he's punishing and killing people for believing stuff that he knows 100% is real and true. True, yeah. Like he's like, your, your belief in the users is unfounded and silly, where he just had a conversation with literal God about the users, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I could have also used a scene here where he lays eyes on Flynn and has a moment of, oh, geez, that's the guy. That would have been, um, that would have been a neat little moment. Yeah. But they didn't have that. Because I think he knows that Flynn is in this crew. I think that Tron, so this is an idea I just sort of, I didn't think about it the first few times I watched it, but just watching it recently, um, just yesterday, I came away with this idea that, much like Prometheus, when you make a sequel or just a, a, another movie in, in a series, the first one, you, you've changed its context, or you've changed the implications in really interesting ways. And with Tron... Yeah. Uh, obviously Tron Legacy it's a more realistic world it's evolved it's a society and now watching the first Tron again I realize well programs are sentient they are people but you get this impression that they are not um, what's the word they don't have a, a life outside of their assigned function. It's almost like, okay, well, I am the accounting yeah. program. I am the calculating program. That is all I do. That's what I yeah. live to do. They have thoughts, they have feelings, they have friends. But mm, later on, you have this idea of recreation, of career, of creativity, of, um, of do- domesticity, I think is the most important thing. And I well, know I think that's also... Like, like that's I think that's what the users bring to the grid. That is the mm. central power that the users bring to the grid is you can rise above your programming. Yeah. You know, like that's you I am a user and I can do whatever I want to do. And that's not unique to me. A bunch of my powers are unique to me, but my mm. free will is not. So if you think hard and you concentrate, you can rise above your programming and I think that's the sort of scary doctrine that they bring to that's it's basically an agent of chaos that they bring to this entire world that's founded on order yeah that's an interesting idea that that fundamentally maybe these two worlds are just not compatible because uh, the the grid is almost like the borg and obviously human society is very much not like that and it's individualistic and it's also Mm. like they bring hope like they bring hope like there's a 
like if if a bunch of programs are going to get into a fight they'll look at each other's forces and calculate which which side will win and then they might decide they'll just like skip the battle you know yeah. or like or like but if humans are outnumbered they're like i don't care i'm still going to go in and give 110% and maybe who knows we'll beat the odds and we'll win and sometimes they do you know most of the time they don't but sometimes they do but a rational person wouldn't do that you know yeah. but that's what that's what that's what humans bring to the grid is you can you've got hope like in legacy when there's the bar fight and everybody's getting their ass handed to them and all the all the users are getting i mean all the all the blue programs are getting shut down and killed by the red programs and then you know flynn shows up and touches the ground and everybody's like oh my gosh we can do this and they rally and they come back and it's because and that really dope song hope. plays and it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah he hasn't given them special powers i mean he has given them special powers but he's given it to them in the in the sense of hope right mm. which is why you can sort of see him as a you know a holy figure or something like that he sort of says you know you can you can win if you just he's technically the oldest human being ever so yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, how old are you? I am eight hundred and fifty years old. Is <laughs> in, in the book in uh, in the making of Tron by William Calais, the director Stephen Lisberger. He talks directly to these spiritual elements and how they're there purposefully. Like the programs are all asking why they're there and how they mm. got created. You know, just like us. And it's frustrating that we haven't been able to definitively solve the secrets of this universe or the answers to those questions through art, science, or religion yet. Like, we don't even know who we're supposed to be gracious to. But if yeah. we make a perfect copy, like if we make a perfect copy of this world in a computer, then we'll know where every single bit and byte comes from. So it'll mirror the best and worst of us if we create it perfectly, which is what they've done at NCOM. So he says it's all very much intentional. I, I dig Tron's sort of philosophy or approach to theology because later, not to skip too far ahead and talk about someone else's minute, but um, <laughs> Tron says, "Oh, you've got a plan, right? You know, all the all the users they they work according to some divine plan." Is kind of what yeah, his implication right. is, and I kind of like that idea of. I know it's controversial amongst different religions of that sort of humanizing God or seeing God as a fallible being, but I kind of find that more comforting, the idea that, well, yeah, so you, we can create programs, the programs could maybe one day start thinking and look at us as creators, and yeah, maybe if we do have some creator out there, it's it's the same situation. I, I like that idea. I think Tron's got the right... It's a neat... It's a, yeah. It's a really, it's a neat idea to think about. That's why I find it so heady. Like, it's hard for me to hear people when they write this movie off as simplistic because the depth of it, like, my head spins when I get start thinking about the the, the deepness that's that's here and taking it. Yeah, apart we keep going on goddamn so tangents because we're just having uh, all yeah, these existential so crises. Yeah. <laughs> like, and but the the director goes on in that bit to talk about the internet and he talks about how it's involved and he mm. says that it was conceived as a way to bring us together and to improve our existence with vastly improved communication and helping each other but that the ed dillingers of the world got their hand on it and now there's a corruption happening and he said that this is this is what's happened to all frontiers you know like the discovery of north america or whatever whatever you want to call it or he says but in cyberspace we've done it in record time we created it we got everyone into the pool in a safe environment then we commodified it and corrupted it in like a decade and a half. You it's know, in the crazy real world, to me. 
that in the real um, world that took it, it takes right. centuries to do that with a frontier in the real world yeah anyway yeah um oh what's his name tim berners lee when he was creating the internet yeah he and those original pioneers if you will were so idealistic and dare i say yeah. naive because they actually wanted every single yeah. website to be like wikipedia that anyone could get on it and edit it and it's just like oh yeah. boy imagine if i left any of my websites open to the public to edit it would just it would look right. like an abandoned house in detroit you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like his faith in humanity uh i don't know like that's the thing like like i don't want to think that the internet is over or whatever like i remember a friend of mine uh said like i used to want to be psychic but twitter and facebook cured me of that you know? i've deleted all my yeah, social really... media i'm just like i am done i am not even using google i'm using DuckDuckGo. i'm using the tall <laughs> browser i'm just like get me out of the system i'm going off the grid <laughs> I'm just, I'm constantly surprised that this tool that should lead to greater understanding between all of us is actually like reinforcing bubbles and silos and causing more and more extreme emotional reactions. And I, yes. I still don't know if that's, if that is that by design to increase traffic or is it naturally occurring? You know, like either way, it's deeply saddening to me that I've seen this, this great gift for communication just suddenly mm. almost making us more tribal than ever, you know? I think it's indicative in some parts of human nature, but I also think it's reflective of the culture we're in right now, which is a capitalistic society. It is a very um, politically divided time. And so, yeah, I do have to wonder if we gave this technology to cultures centuries ago or centuries from now, is that really who we are on our most fundamental level? Or is it just this moment right here and right now right like that's the question that's the essential question i think and i don't know if hmm. there's a uh, I, and i can't answer it there's probably maybe somebody who can but no you we need a, a time machine and no respect for the prime directive <laughs> to figure that one out <laughs> time machine, yeah for sure um, now, oh, um just going back to that um have it programs having personal lives i just remembered there was that deleted scene. I'm glad it's a deleted scene now. I think about oh, yeah. it of Yuri's well, well, yeah, I'll, apartment. I'll, yeah, I'll talk. I'll talk about that when we when we get there. That's uh, that's much later in the movie, but I can't I can't wait to talk about it. Oh yes, yeah, so are you including exactly. the deleted scenes? I am gonna do a, a minute by itself about the about the deleted scene. Just this, just that one. I think there there might have been a few more, but that one to me is a fascinating deleted scene. It's it really is. Um, so I guess and, I can't really like, talk about it because it's not mine, but. Um, I'll just the say that it, are just... it, it insinuates, yes, it's so much about, well, hang on. So they have a private life. They have uh, yeah. interests. They have decoration. They have romantic yeah. relationships. Like, but, but everything else didn't say that, but now you're saying, yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm it's... glad it got cut because mm. it flies in the face of everything. But at the same time, wow, that would be awesome to explore. So yeah, because I, I, I like how, here. um, like Tron, when Yori kisses Tron, she's like, uh, he's like, oh, that's nice. Like he has no, they're so yeah. Like he he obviously well, loves that's Yori, like but Flynn, it's innocence. Yeah, Flynn kiss like Flynn kisses Yori, and that's him teaching her how to kiss. Mm. And then she kisses Tron, and Tron's like, what the heck is that? So <laughs> it's kind of like how when uh, Data brings free will, or when Hugh brings free will to the Borg. Yeah, in that way, like 
Flynn has kind of brought sex to the grid <laughs> and they didn't touch on that <laughs> at all in um they didn't touch on that but there's uh in a later minute here there's like prostitutes there's like a red light district i thought there were you know i was watching it i was watching that scene going i know as an adult what the implication is but also i know that the the producers and stuff will probably like it's just some women sitting there they're not (laughs) doing it (laughs) i don't i don't understand that minute but i think that takes us pretty close to the end of the minute here Yes, and uh, the only thing I want to say about the the differences between the novel and the screenplay is that in the novel, the vision of the carrier in the sky is way more complex. Like the sky is patterned with brightness and shapes and fractals and whorls of color. And Sark's carrier has a much more epic hugeness to it because there's streams of recognizers coming in and out of the loading bays, like tiny flocks of birds. So they're the size of the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. So that really would have helped paint just how huge Sark's carrier is. Right? Mm. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's the advantage of uh, the, the written word rather than visuals is you can just say specifically, it's like this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can say yeah. That's the thing is you can just say it's like this. And Flynn has a thought as he's as he's listening to Sark's speech. Flynn has a thought. He says, "Even here, the old old evil. Surrender your beliefs or surrender your life." Yeah, which I thought is a, a pretty neat a neat thing. He recognizes it as like a this speech that Sark is making is an epic. It's an ancient speech that's been made to people that are being conquered for the last 20,000 years, you know? I think the the grid, this grid, is... It's reflective of what it was created for and who uses it and who's created these programs. You know, it, it is for a major corporation. And, you know, Dillinger is involved in creating the MCP, maybe. Um Whereas you look at the grid in Legacy, and it's obviously made by the dude, Party Man, wants to have a cool, fun time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's tr- that's partially true. There's uh, there's aspect, there's certain there's certain aspects of um, the Legacy city that just looks like a regular city, but for Which sure, there's makes way wonder... more improv, yeah. more improvis- improvisation going on. Yeah, it makes me wonder, well, if I'm making a grid of my own, you know, what does that look like? And does it have, I guess it would, anyone, it would reflect anyone's identity. If you're creating a world and you are essentially God, I mean, it's inevitable, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be pretty wild to to design a world like that and see and see what it see what it looks like you know and then well it's, it's kind of what they've done is they've set this world in motion they created it and then they released it and then stuff's happening <laughs> you know like it's, it's, it's playing out it's like a sim like a really really advanced sims game almost you know yeah i, I it's like a combination of civilization and sims and i, I was just thinking about like that how could we have a video game like that which is just you are playing god you can create a civilization and then you just let it go and watch what happens and i mean civilization sort of does that i just yeah. i don't think we, i mean I, we're we not, have i don't think the... we're quite not there yeah. not yet not in the no. way that you mean i don't think we're there yet yeah i think are, you would actually have to be a programmer you'd actually have to go in in there and you know it's not a game you're actually creating a simulation um but i think eventually yeah you could absolutely have a game like that where you just go um so this is a society that values 
art and creativity and self-expression and it yeah. is uh communist and you just like throw all these elements in and go what happens if i do that <laughs> what happens if i do this and magic exists you know or something like that just throw just throw stuff out there and see see what sticks and see how see how things go or Ooh, the one i'd love to do or... is um take all the ideas from star trek particularly the next generation and like the ideas of currency that are poorly defined and just put that into an yeah. ai and go figure this out how does it work Will See it how work? this works? Yeah, will it work? Right. <laughs> One thing that there's a there's a there's a moment here in um in the novel where Sark does notice that Flynn is standing there, or he at least notices. He knows that a user is in this group of conscripts, and mm. he's sort of given he's given Good confidence eyesight. by the fact. Yeah, yeah. Or I think he's got like a he's just he knows, but the um. I think he's given confidence by the fact that the user doesn't stand out. He just looks yeah. like a regular pleb. He's just like, it's, he's somewhere in the line looking like everybody else. So he's kind of like, oh, phew. I thought he would be like, you know, 10 feet tall and obviously some kind of blue glowing nightmare opponent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But he's not. I am fascinated by how, so both versions of the grid, it's a, pitch black sky there's no light no sun no stars no nothing and yeah. yet there are immense structures so especially in the first tron i always come away with this sense of it's kind of claustrophobic but it's yeah. kind of overwhelmingly large and especially because there's not a lot of music and stuff it feels very cold and empty but claustrophobic yeah. it's so it's, it fascinates me yeah yeah, art direction wise, like why isn't it lush? You know, mm. like that's uh it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Like you sort of get the feeling with this movie that the fact that the movie is stark is because of limitations of the software. But then when you get yeah. into legacy, you're like, they can obviously do more here, but yet it's still dark and it's still stark and it's still cold, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I like that I like it as an art direction. I really like it as an art direction. I'm glad that it's not a jungle it's or something gorgeous. like that. Um, but, it's but that reminds like... me of another idea I had was, so when converting, oh, I, I'm wondering, did Flynn convert this grid to his grid or did he start from scratch? I mean, we know Ooh, Tron. Good question. Yeah. Good Tron question. was brought across. Um, and in doing so, did he have to upgrade those programs? So you were mentioning, you know, how the environment looks somewhat similar. There's no light or anything. Did he have to kind of keep it similar just so that mentally they felt more mm -hmm. comfortable? Like, if you deprive a human being of sunlight, we'd go mad. We wouldn't have a sense yeah, of day or go, night or want to eat. We'd go bonkers, yeah. So maybe programs are a bit the same where it's just like, oh, there's a sun and it's moving across the sky. I don't understand why. Oh, it's <laughs> maybe it upsets them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be something. That'd be, uh, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Well, and I then, think that brings us where oh, we're going. Okay, yeah. Yeah, That's one okay. would. It's just like, oh yeah, Tron himself would have to adapt to a life of instead of you are made for this one job. Now it's a free world, and you can do what you want. I mean, you're a security program, but you're yeah. doing other things. Well, that makes me think of how Flan, how Flynn has had to adjust being in the computer world for three hundred years or whatever. Oh my god, you know, he had no sunlight. He's, <laughs> he's had no sun, and he's had no day cycle. So no wonder he's really into meditation, like. He's probably gone stark raving bonkers like four times by now. You know? Yeah, he's come to the other side of insanity four times, yeah. Yeah.
All right. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up. I could talk. We're to definitely you done now. I'm done. Yes. Which is awesome. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to have you back because there's obviously a bottomless well of, of notes that you've got about it. So I'd love to have you back <laughs> if that's something that you'd like to do. I kind of like Tron. I don't know if uh, anyone <laughs> me too, man. knows me that too. about me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot it's to a say. It's a good one. A lot to say. This has been All right, great. Well, it's been fantastic, Connor. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It really, really has. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I guess uh, tell us where people can find more of you if they want to hear more of you. So, traviandesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N, is where I post the podcast and other things that you might be interested to see, like costumes and concept art. I recently did my own redesign of uh, Law from the Star oh, Trek right Next Generation. Um, his yeah. costume from Descent, because I've always loved the, the, the notion, you know, you I'll, I'll, I'll make this brief... In that story, he's basically, he's a cult leader, he's coming to his own, he's charismatic, he's powerful, he's with the Borg. Oh, as a costume designer, oh, that's everything I want. This gives me so many ideas. But they give him like a felt Batman abs costume, and it's very bizarre, and I just go, nah, 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 I can do better. So I did that, and you can check that out. And uh, yeah, you can find Prometheus by a minute pretty much anywhere where good or reasonable podcasts are found. And uh, <laughs> if you want to give me some feedback, have some comments, have a chat, you can find Prometheus by a minute on Facebook. The group has the same name or page has the same name. I need to make a group actually because everyone else is doing that. So I should get on that yeah. bandwagon. Right on. And if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking. Send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Movie by Minute Listeners page. Shout out to Pond5 for the music. Go there for your own uh, music that you can use. And uh, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. If you go to moviesbyminutes.com, you will see, I think, 150 movies at current or is it just, yeah, something like that. It's something like that. It's getting big. It's absurd and it's growing all the time. And if uh, your favorite movie isn't there, consider doing one yourself. If your favorite movie is already there and you think you can also bring more light to it, then do that too. You know, it's a very... Yeah, there's actually more than one Matrix movie. Minute now. That's right. And I think I think I don't think that's the only one that's doubled up. So... You know, you can bring new stuff to it. If you're if you're doing your take on it, you're by definition doing a new take on it. So mm. see what you can do. It's a fantastic experience. Uh, do you want to do a little uh, end of line on three? Always. <laughs> okay. All right. One, two, three. End, end of line. Of line.